Welcome to Testers Island Discs, your most musical guide to the world of software testing. My name's Neil Studd, and I'll be your castaway companion. Hello everybody and welcome back to another episode of Tessa's Island Discs, where my guest today on the island is Kim Noop. Kim is a senior digital tester with Legal and General, but you might know her better for the many different ways that she's involved with the Ministry of Testing. She co-hosts the MOT meetup group in Brighton, which now incorporates the Brighton branch of the Software Testing Clinic. She's spoken at several previous test bashes and will be speaking at the upcoming test bash in San Francisco in November. If that wasn't enough, she's also the lead designer of the upcoming Test Bash Brighton 2019, which is a four-day conference in April next year. And throughout all of this, she still manages to find time to be a regular runner and an exquisite knitter and sewer. <laughs> welcome to the podcast, Kim. Hello. Welcome. Thanks for having me. It's a delight. Uh, it's been a long time since I've seen you. Um, you're someone who uh, I, I like to keep in touch with. Often it's quite dangerous when I get together with you because it, it often ends up costing me money. <laughs> you, 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 I remember one time at yours when you were, we, we just settled down for a game on the, the Nintendo Switch and within about an hour I was like counting out pennies because I really, really wanted one. Yeah, I think I'm a very good enabler. So, uh, so in case you do want to visit again, just be aware that we now have a VR set up. So, you oh, know. My God, oh my God, oh my God. Yeah, which is pretty good, especially if you want to learn to fly, which my other half is doing on it, which seems to be working out well. Excellent. You, you do seem to have a house full of toys. Yes, we do like our toys. Our toys and, like you said, my, my knitting. So my home office now just looks like a yarn store come like Tester's Paradise. So it's quite nice. <laughs> I think of you as a really central part of the, the testing scene in, in the Brighton area and, and you as someone who is basically permanently Brighton-based these days. What was the path that brought you to Brighton in the first place? Um, well, actually, I've been in Brighton for like 14 years now, which has gone way too fast. I came to England in 99 just as a kid and then in 2004 came here to Brighton to study. And like many others, I didn't really study anything to do with testing or computers. I did media studies in German. Some people say that's cheating because I'm originally German, but um, I wanted to kind of learn the literature and actually do like philosophy in German because a lot of big philosophers come from Germany and actually be able to read their texts and understand them. And after I finished studying um, I just never really left. Apparently, that's like a myth that you once you come to Brighton, especially if you're looking for something, you don't leave until you've found it. And um, it's quite interesting that you've said that I'm based here sort of permanently because that might actually change quite soon, but I'm not going too far, so I'll still be involved in the testing scene. But more on that when I know more about that. Fantastic. And obviously, Brighton became the home of Test Bash after the first one in Cambridge. At what point did you and Test Bash first collide? I think it was in 2013, if I'm not mistaken. I just found the software testing club while I was um, at a games testing job and got more interested in developing my career in testing. And then found out that there's actually going to be a software testing conference in my hometown. And I funded the ticket myself, which at the time was a massive deal for me because it was quite a lot of money. I'd just come out of uni a few years earlier and wasn't really making that much. And then uh, I started to meet loads of awesome people um, at this conference and just never left it again, I guess. Just that community vibe was just really inspiring. And um, it just has been pushing me 
or through my career to do better and give back. And that's kind of how I then got involved in trying to create the community outside of that one week that Test Bash runs. And we'll talk a bit more about those meetups in the next section. But as I said at the top, you're, you're actually taking on the role of lead designer for next year's Test Bash Brighton. How did that come about and what's the role going to involve? It kind of happened organically. I've kind of stayed in touch with Rosie's not too far from me here on a regular basis. And we try and meet up once in a while. And I think with Rosie having taken a step back recently from the boss boss role, um, she's also trying to kind of mentor other people and in taking up running something like a test bash. And um, we had a conversation about it and we thought that it could be a good fit and we'll trial it this year together. She also brought me on because I'm creative and I might have some good ideas. Um, And Rosie is really inspiring with creativity, like all of the things we've already talked about doing for next year are really exciting. Can't wait to like actually see them go from idea to it all happening. And what it involves is helping out with the review process and the abstracts and making sort of the final decisions on what sort of talks we're going to have and how are they, how they're going to flow. I'm going to be involved in sort of drumming up sponsorship because through the meetups that I've run, I've got some connections there and just generally trying to be innovative and um, bringing an awesome event to Brighton. Yes, I've been involved in a couple of previous test bash review processes myself. I've reviewed a few abstracts. How difficult was this year's to review? Oh, well, yeah, um, I've helped out with reviewing in the past, just being like a community voice, I guess. And actually, this one, the submissions were really, really strong. Um, so varied as well. I think it was maybe slightly different for me because I actually got to see every single submission there was. Mm-hmm. And um, I've never seen workshop submissions. And from a selfish point of view, I'm like, I want to go to this one and this one and this one and all of them in a sense. But you kind of need to think about who is coming to your event, who is it for, and um, kind of be aware of your biases as well towards what's kind of applicable to your role and context might not be applicable to everyone else. So how do you get that good mix? Um, So that's been really interesting. I also made the decision to get people from the community involved, and that was actually really fascinating to see as well. People from all different backgrounds and different testing backgrounds um, voting on talks and um, workshops and seeing which ones everyone agreed on, which ones some agreed on and some not. And knowing some of the people that reviewed, I could see why. Mm. So, yeah, it's been like a really fun process but hard work lots of long nights (laughs) yeah i guess one of the really good things about the ministry testing and the fact that there's a continuous call for papers is that even really good talks that don't quite make it onto the program for brighton can be put forward for a future event or for one of these the the online masterclass type things Uh, so i love being part of the review process and seeing the result at the end of it and um we're recording this episode a little bit early so i'm not quite sure but the the program may or may not be up about now or be about to go up when this goes out so uh, looking forward to seeing what's on the agenda yes i'm really excited i can't wait to put out those tweets <laughs> yeah you know already I, I really want to grill you but i'm not, not going to i'm, uh... <laughs> Look, I'm not saying <laughs> <I don't>... anything <laughs> <laughs> i don't want to uh, put you in an awkward position okay let's get into the reason why you're here you've been allowed to pick five songs to take onto the testers desert island with you which best represent the music that you enjoy what was the first song that you chose 
So this was really hard. And I don't know if I've submitted several times or like changed my mind a few times or not. But uh, I've come down to these. So the first one is Die Ärzte and Rebelle. Die Ärzte is a band that kind of made me fall in love with music or get a bit addicted to it when I was in my um, teenage years. It was a song that came out just before we moved from Germany to England. And I kind of feel like I held on to this album because I was moving to a country, I wasn't speaking my own language anymore, and it was all about this, like, I want to hold on to the German side uh, and not lose it and not lose that part of my identity. And that's what that song um, reminds me of, as well as being a bit of a pop-punk song that I quite enjoy jumping about to. Ich bin dagegen, weil ihr nichts davon versteht, ich bin dagegen. Ich sag es noch einmal, ich bin dagegen. Warum ist doch egal, ich bin dagegen. Auch wenn es euch nicht schmeckt, ich nenne es Freiheit. Ihr nennt es Mangel an Respekt. Bitte verstehen mein Verhalten als Zeichen der Ablehnung. That was Die Erze with Rebel. Die Erze being one of these bands that are holdouts for Spotify, so they're not actually available on the service. Uh, I'll put a link into the YouTube video of that, that track uh, in the show notes for those who want to take a listen. So, so far, Kim, we've been talking a lot about Brighton, and we can't talk about Brighton without talking about the many different ways that you're involved with its testing scene. When did you first get involved with Brighton's tester meetup, which I believe you coined as Test Actually? It's funny because it's actually our anniversary. We started this four years ago. I, I saw f that on Facebook the other day, you know, the memories section. Mm -hmm. um, so four years ago, roughly to the day, Rosie replied to a tweet. I think it was from Anya actually saying that her, Emma and myself should get together to continue organizing these community events. And that's kind of how it started. And with us all working in like, different offices, we initially found it quite hard to organize venues and, and speakers because we're all from very different areas of the city. But somehow we made it work and it's like now in its fourth year. I've come down, I've spoken there a couple of times, but I've attended probably Brighton as a guest as many times as I've attended any meetup. Just Brighton is such a, a good place to be. And when I do come down, the, the thing I notice, uh, it's surprising you said that it was difficult to find hosts because you, there are so many different venues in Brighton that are willing to be hosts. That's quite surprising to me that I, I don't think of Brighton as a particularly tech-centric city, and it's quite small, it's sort of 250,000 people. How cool is it that there are so many different companies that want to help out? Yeah, I mean, it's been um, really lovely to meet all these different companies, some smaller, some larger, that want to be known for being places that testers are welcome and that are involved in the testing community. Brighton's actually really big with like e-learning companies, but not many of those actually have testers. So um, it's interesting that they do still want to get involved and hear that testing voice um, and help educate. So what I found interesting because of that is that our audience tends to be quite diverse. We don't just have testers, we get product owners and developers and scrum masters for all from like the agile scene come and join us, which has been really nice and led to some really nice discussions. And so with so many different venues to choose from, how do you go about picking who hosts from one month to another? Is it just based on individual venues availability? 
Yeah, a little bit. I mean, on the one hand, I'm super nosy and I like to see different offices. So I tend to just reach out if I see that some companies are recruiting um, on one of our local job boards. And I'll reach out and say, look, we can help you if you want to host this um, event and bring some testers into your office. That tends to help. Also, some now reach out to us. So I often get emails on LinkedIn saying, when are you doing your next event? Could we host? We're happy to sponsor those conversations. So now that we've built up that network, it's become a lot easier. But the first year was really hard. One of the eternal challenges for Brighton is the transport network. Getting in and out of it, depending on what Southern Rail are doing, can be a nightmare. Have things got any better? They couldn't have got any worse. (laughs) There were some funny things happening over the summer holidays with new timetables that people knew were going to fail. So they'd overbooked the trains in terms of how many ran an hour. So they kept having to cancel them. Yeah, it's not really much better. I've seen less strikes happen. But they're being quite sneaky now with like cancelling trains without telling you. So yeah, the, the transport isn't amazing in and out, but we have the sea on one side, so that kind of makes up for it. <laughs> I guess when transport is in that sort of situation, it's useful if you have working from home options available to you. Is that something you uh, enjoy doing when you get the opportunity? Yeah, I must say I struggled the first few times that I worked from home because I felt a bit lost and disconnected from the team. Mm. And I thought being naturally quite introverted and more of a thinker and liking my quiet time that I would love it from the get go. But actually, I do thrive on being able to have those conversations with people about a feature or, you know, just rolling up to the developer next to you and going, right, walk me through the unit tests. I missed that initially, but actually, you know, just a quick call on Skype or Slack or whatever you use can make up for that. And I normally don't take more than one or two days a week working from home. So I still get that interaction. It has its own challenges, though, working from home. (laughs) I get distracted doing things like washing up and cleaning. Mm -hmm. So I try and just leave that or try and do that the night before. And uh, my my neighbours are also sometimes a little bit of a challenge (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's sometimes working from home can be really good for having that peace and quiet and focus unless you can't yeah my uh i've got a house about three up from me who has recently opened a sort of working from home creche so i now have 10 children running around the neighbor's garden all day every day oh my gosh (laughs) so so i'm increasingly working from cafes because it's somehow quieter but uh but let's take a little break from our conversation to talk more about your musical selections what was the second song that you picked for the podcast um, so the second song I picked is Knights of Sidonia by Muse. The memory I have to do with this song is um, also a place, actually. So as part of my university studies, I got to live and study in Vienna for a year. And during that time, I just went to loads of gigs because it was the first big capital city I lived in that had loads of gigs happening all the time. And one of my favourite ones was Muse's concert there in there. I think it was in one of the big halls. Um, I managed to get to the front row and jump about and see my favourite album at the time being performed live. And that song just is all about that. No 
was Knights of Sidonia by Muse. Now, Kim, one of the things that you are a real advocate for is usability within testing. What is it about usability that matters so much to you? I think I'm quite empathetic. Is that a word? (laughs) Yeah, it is. (laughs) Okay. Okay. So I'm quite empathetic and I like everyone to have a good time and good experience when they use a product. I like to try and challenge if something is usable or not. But I also like thinking about usability from the sort of negative side. So like, how isn't it usable? Who would be the user that would fail to understand the journey and what edge cases could come from that? So that's kind of what I mean by being passionate about usability. I think one of the reasons why it could be so difficult to get usability onto the agenda is because there's a kind of a massive gap between Software which is functional, which does the job it's set out to do, and software which is, you know, inherently usable. And in a world where we're being pushed to deliver things, you know, MVP, you know, get the key things out the door, usability tends to be something that's left till the end, which that usability is something that's pretty hard to, to get baked in late, isn't it? Yes, yeah. I I would say that that's often the wrong approach and you never get back to making it nicer unless you end up having a big rewrite. So sometimes I've been part of projects where they rewrote the UI, so the styling and the CSS, but left the buttons in the same places. And you could do the same thing from like six different corners of the page. And I thought that was a wasted time and effort. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't th- it never seems to quite go hand in hand, which is was, it's a shame. Yep. Yeah, obviously there are there are subsections of usability, things like accessibility, which I mean, some of those things, you know, are, there are legal requirements where you have to implement certain things. So that I mean, that's kind of a, a slightly different flavor. But with funny usability is an area that was kind of it was my first specialism in testing. I remember in my very first testing job, one of the things I used a training budget for was to go on a, a usability course. Uh, it was led by the, the usability designer Jacob Nielsen. He, he's a, quite a well published person, and I bought some books by uh, Steve Krug. Who uh, yes. wrote, don't make me think. Don't make me think. Yeah, and yes. um, rocket uh, rocket surgery made easy. There are some really good tomes out there if you want to learn the basics of things like producing wireframes and walking skeletons. So you get you're building something functional from the start. And for some companies like my current one, we're fortunate enough that we have dedicated UX teams. We have designers. We have people who will run. Uh, UX labs where we have like a, a, a one way mirror where we can watch people using our software. Obviously, not everyone has access to that. Smaller companies won't necessarily. 
as like a sole tester within an agile team, how do you get usability onto the agenda? So in my new place, we're actually lucky that we have UI and UX designers and they help trying to put this on the agenda. However, a lot of the time, a business just sees something pretty and they want it now and they don't really care that we would need to rewrite the actual user journey to make it be that good. Um, So they kind of equate it with styling, which is a shame. When I was working as the sole tester in companies, I just try to pair with people and stakeholders and show them how something doesn't make sense. So actual evidence or like little video recordings seem to really help to show. We also managed to get the product owner on board to run these usability labs, like you say, with, um, you know, the one-way mirror type thing. Mm. But we did more interviews because we didn't have an actual room to, like, observe people, but we could still follow, um, I think it was Stephen Krug's book that also has, like, a template that you can download for running usability labs. So we actually used that to set up our own questions and have people look at the application or even just wireframes and get them to walk you through them and that way you actually understand how your users see your system. And I guess one of the benefits of getting as many different eyes on some software as possible is it acts as a rebuttal to the classic phrase, no user would ever do that, which is something we hear all the time and we're reporting particularly things like edge cases. Yes, and you actually end up finding out that users would do that and much more than what you thought of. So I love mm. I love live bugs because they often give us new testing scenarios. <laughs> because actual users are doing something that you didn't anticipate with your application more often than not. And, you know, the earlier you can get other people's pairs of eyes on the system that weren't involved in trying to discover what the problem is you're solving, you you know, that just want to actually do the thing that they've come to your application for, the, the better. And we're going to switch from talking about having eyes on things to having voice on things. In the second half of this podcast, we're going to talk <laughs> about your upcoming Test Bash San Francisco talk, all about testing voice-first devices. But before we switch over into that, what was the third song you chose, Kim? Um, so the third song I chose is Hand in Hand by The Beatstakes. The Beatstakes are another German band, but they sing mostly in English. They're, again, sort of a um, pop-punk rock band. Um, I quite like guitar music, fast songs to jump about to. And um, this was the first song of theirs that I discovered, not the first one that they released, but the one that made me fall in love with them and buy their whole back catalogue. <laughs> That was The Beatstakes with Hand in Hand, the third song selection today by Kim Noop. Now, Kim, you're speaking at the upcoming Test Bash in San Francisco in November. Your talk is titled Stories from Testing Voice First Devices. Yes, um, I'm super excited and nervous about this um, because it's quite new and I haven't seen many other talks about this to kind of see how they went down. But um, I'm hoping that 
it will be an interesting topic for everyone and maybe a bit funny to listen to the stories as well as we discovered what we might need to do to test in a voice skill. I think the fact that it is so different is the reason why it so appeals to me. Uh, I don't want you to tell all of your stories now, but for example, when did you first encounter voice-first devices yourself? So last year, I worked for a small digital agency in Brighton, and they are true pioneers of tech. They always try to be up there and do the most you know, new up-to-date thing, be it voice or blockchain. They just get on with it and try and work out how you write good applications for users on these and sell their services. So with them, uh, last spring or early summer, I started to work with them on a on a voice skill and then a couple more later on during the year. So as someone who is a almost complete novice in this area, I feel like I'm obliged to ask some really dumb questions. Okay. <laughs> now, these uh, you're, you're talking from the perspective of Alexa skills, but both Google and Siri have equivalents. I think Google's are called actions and I think Siri's are commands, mm-hmm. but questions which I, I guess are quite similar across all of them. If you're developing a skill, let's say there's some API and you want to like have a voice command for telling you the timetable for the bus, mm-hmm. the upcoming buses or something. When you're programming that, do you need to get involved in the whole voice recognition side of things or are you working purely linguistically as in like Alexa takes care of parsing the voice and you just process what the text does? Yeah, so I think you've, I kind of answered your own question there. But um, yeah, so that was actually something I really struggled with because I felt like I had to test the voice recognition. But, you know, if you think about testing a web app, you're not testing the Windows operating system that you're running on it. So it's kind of that relationship. So you're testing the actual skill, but the bit around it, like how the voice is picked up, that should have been done really well by Amazon and generally is really well done by them. So it's more about the logic and the actual requests that you would be testing. What if what you're building contains some very sort of domain specific language, you know, things that aren't actually words, like things that have meaning to you, like product names, for example, that maybe Alexa or Google haven't heard people speaking before? Is there a way of training it to understand what certain sounds mean? kind of so what you can do is in a skill and its kind of logic is made up of different parts and you have your invocation name which is what your app would be called and how you trigger your voice device to actually start the application and listen for commands to do with it and then you have your um, I'm going to mix this up but let's just say you have like your intent words and you would map them So if you had a very specific word, like I'm looking around my room to find something, spoon handle, I don't know. Are you in the kitchen? (laughs) Not quite. I ate some uh, some breakfast in here and I haven't tidied it up. (laughs) But if you could map that word to mean to do a certain action, so you would do that in the code, but hopefully it's a distinct enough word that the application would pick it up. So we had some intents in one of our custom skills we built that all sounded too similar, especially if you had a certain accent and we needed to change them quite dramatically for the application to be able to distinguish from it. There is, however, also a bit of an AI thing going on with Amazon and their platform itself. So I don't know if you've, um, have you got an Alexa at home by chance? 
I don't. I've, I'm, no. I'm fully invested in the Google infrastructure. Uh, I've got I'm, I've got 10 Chromecast devices in my house, four well, of which are voice activated. Yeah, a big time. Well, um, so I've not got much experience with that. But um, our one, for example, if you ask a random question, you know, oh, how old is this and that actor? And she isn't quite sure if she's heard you or not. She will then ask afterwards, did that answer your question? Um, and you can by saying yes, and you can give it feedback to basically say, "Yep, yeah, you are understanding me. You are getting used to my voice." Mm. So that's kind of going on in the background, but it's not necessarily what you've coded for your skill. And I guess again, usability comes into play. So you may have programmed in certain key phrases that you think might be how users are going to ask the question. Like again, with my bus example, you know, what time is the next bus? But some people might say. Uh, what's the bus timetable or what's the coach time again i, I guess that's where having diversity of voices even not just for the, the, rec- the voice recognition but in how people talk yes so that's super important and um, in my talk I'll, I'll explain a few more platforms and like test services that you, you could use but even just an experiment sitting with before you even write a single line of code sitting with your team and one of you is alexa and the others mm-hmm are users in trying to have that mapped out conversation that you might have to do a certain thing. It's really interesting to to observe because everyone has different ways of literally asking what time the next bus is or what the weather is even. And we'll get more into the nitty gritty of working with Alexa and how you get started with it in the next section after we hear your penultimate song selection. Yes, so my penultimate song I agonised about, as you know, and that was um, The Arctic Monkeys, I Bet You Look Good on the Dance Floor. This, again, is sort of full of memories of Brighton and going to university here and going out dancing with um, one of my best friends from uni and uh, just having a really nice, good time. Stop making the eyes at me, I'll stop making the eyes at you. What it is that surprises me is that I don't really That was the Arctic Monkeys. I bet you look good on the dance floor. The second Arctic Monkeys song to appear on the podcast. Now, Kim, let's say I'm interested in building an Alexa skill. And I mean, I've, I've name checked one to do with buses. I, <laughs> I have other ideas up there of, of things I genuinely like. I mean, I go to the cinema all the time. I'd love to have be able to ask Google, you know, what time is this film on at my cinema and have it tell me back. Um, but for Alexa, if I wanted to start working with it today, mm-hmm. what are the things that I need in order to get started with doing that? Um, There are two main things to get started. An Amazon account, which I'm pretty sure you've bought something from Amazon, so you can probably use that. And a developer console account. So the development process for Alexa is a little bit fragmented that you have to log in through these two kind of portals. But if you've got that, then it becomes quite easy. Um, You can think of if you want to create a skill like you mentioned, like your bus skill to an existing API, you can probably just need to make a decision on where you want to host this. If you want to use um, Amazon's 
services, or if you want to host it yourself, and that might be where a bit of cost is incurred. Or if you want to build a custom skill, um, you would have to decide on things such as what your actual utterances and intents are. So like the words that you will use to get your bus timetable and all of those bits and pieces. And you can have some fun really creating some varied ways of, of talking to your chosen skill. But to get started, actually, the Amazon developer console has anything and everything you need, even like examples of those custom skills where you could just paste in your own URLs to start and get going. They actually make it really, really easy because they really want to grow the platform. Um, and it's been even like for someone like me who doesn't really code much, we've gone through tutorials where at the end of it, I had a... Um, choose your own adventure game oh awesome so all of that is out there on um like the developer.amazon.com documents and it's really fun to play about with their templates excellent i'll link to those in the show notes i assume that there are obviously paid tiers of subscriptions depending on how many calls you want to make to this per month for example there is there a, a free version out there if you just want to start playing with it yeah so if you just want to start playing with it before you publish it mm -hmm. it's definitely free there's no cost involved and i have also seen that amazon because they really want to grow this platform they actually give you um credits as well towards your your skill hosting and your um request costs so whenever your skill makes a request there is a charge from from amazon but for the Alexa skills, they're really trying to grow it. So they actually give you quite a good credit selection. And it's unless you become like super popular with your skill, you probably won't really run into any real charges anytime mm. soon. And I promised you stupid questions. If I wanted to start developing an Alexa skill, do I need to have an Alexa device in front of me? Or is there some kind of online slash emulator type things you can use? Yeah, there is. Um, there's a couple of emulators that just run in your browser and use your um, computer microphone that you can use that work pretty well. They sometimes don't pick up your voice as well, because what is amazing in those little Alexa devices or the bigger ones as well, of course, is how many microphones there are and how good those microphones are. Like the hardware is just really cool. But you can have one of those emulators in the browser or um, there's also ways of testing your application using the developer console where you can actually type or say the text and see it come back in um, request responses. So that can be quite interesting to do as well. Awesome. And I'm sure there must be equivalents for Google and Siri. I'm going to do my homework before this episode goes up and I'll stick a bunch of them in the show notes so that there's the equivalent for each different platform. Bringing things back around to the meetups, you actually had an Alexa-themed meetup in Brighton back in May? Yes. So that was a bit of an experiment. And um, the Ministry of Testing was happy with us advertising it through the meetup account. So as part of that company, Matchbox, the agency that I mentioned earlier, we were trying to um, validate or challenge some assumptions from our client about a specific Alexa skill and how users would get on. Because there were some flows that we thought might be a bit jarring for a user, especially if they're not um, that technically minded. And um, yeah, we actually did some usability testing where we had a little intro into the platform and what Alexa is and how it's being used nowadays. And then people got taken to our testing room and went through two different scenarios and then answered a little questionnaire afterwards. And um, 
it was really interesting to see that on some accounts, we were actually wrong in assuming that users would find it really difficult because even the difficult journeys, if you accomplish them at the end, you actually feel really positive about it. And I think in um, Don't Make Me Think, Stephen Krug also talks about this, that some websites are almost on purpose a little bit jarring and a little bit hard to get to grips to because you then feel like you're in this exclusive club that understands the website. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've worked with a few websites who have that club accidentally, very much accidentally. <laughs> so how quickly did your attendees adjust to the idea that effectively running their test scenarios or whatever against an Alexa involves speaking things out loud rather than, you know, hands and fingers on a keyboard and a mouse? You know, how do you adjust to the fact that to execute this test case, you need to say something out loud? Yeah, I mean, from a personal experience as well, it's a bit weird that suddenly you're just talking the whole time. I'm used to thinking the whole time and not to talking the whole time. And I found that some users actually came to also like evaluate if they even really wanted an Alexa in the home or any sort of voice device to this session. And some really enjoyed it. Others just found it a bit unnatural. Um, I guess as much as this platform of uh, voice devices is growing and it's growing really fast, some people still don't quite see the usage of them here and there. And it can still feel a bit alien that you're just shouting stuff through your house rather than Googling something uh, on, on a computer like you would. But I've seen more and more people out and about actually, you know, to their phone going, OK, Google, or, you know, speaking to Siri. Oh, and... you said the words. You're going to have triggered someone's device, Kim. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Luckily, I've got headphones on, so my entire house hasn't just lit up. <laughs> I didn't even think about that. Oops. <laughs> <laughs> Apologies to everyone who owns Google. Let me just say, hey, Siri, and um, the other one. Just Alexa. Alexa. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, it's been a really interesting discussion, Kim, about testing voice skills. I'm really looking forward to hearing how your talk goes. Before we wrap up, though, you've been allowed to pick five songs, and this is song number five. Yes, so number five is Tribute by Tenacious D. I had to pick this one because recently it came up on the radio while I was driving again, and it's just one of those things that I just love singing along to and uh, driving along to on a nice summer's day. So it just had, yeah, it just made me feel really warm and fuzzy again, so I just wanted to include that one. Needless to say... Beast was stunned. A whip crack went his rumpet tail, and the beast was done. He asked us, "Be you angels?" And we said, "Nay, we are but men." That was Tenacious D with Tribute. 
Kim, you mentioned that you were chopping and changing your songs right up to the last minute. There was a moment in which I thought you were going to take this song off and I, I was protesting. I needed this song on the island. It's one I love myself. <laughs> Yay. I'm glad we can both <laughs> jump about and sing along to this. Yeah. It's a karaoke classic for me as well. Uh, actually, the day after recording this, I'm going to a karaoke with uh, fellow former guest Shay Crompton, who will be on the mic with me doing this tomorrow night, I'm sure. <laughs> oh, amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Video clips certainly not coming onto the Twitter feed. <laughs> <laughs> The other thing you're allowed to bring to the island with you is one book selection. What book would you like to bring with you, Kim? So this is actually a graphic novel called Black Sad. The reason I chose this was I had a thought and I wanted to put some testing books or some psychology books on the list. But then I thought there might not be any technology left to test or any people to even really practice my new insights on psychology with. (laughs) But what I can practice is drawing. And I love the art in this book. Um, It's sort of a um, kind of film noir detective story and all the characters, as much as they're humanoid, they're um, animals. And I just love the art and I love reading detective stories. And it was a good book to take along to practice my drawing skills on the island. Brilliant. I think that's the first graphic novel we've had brought onto the island. We had Cassandra Lung previously, who bought a sketchbook of paper so she could maybe do some of her own. But the collection of books grows and grows. You can find that list on goodreads.com, link in the show notes, as well as our Spotify link to all the songs that previous guests have selected. So thank you very much for taking some time out of your evening today, Kim. What have you got coming up? What many, many things have you got coming up? So the next bit will be the full launch of all the Test Bash materials and the newsletters for 2019 um, in Brighton. Um, and then it will be um, San Francisco Test Bash, where I'll be speaking. And that might actually be my main events. Apart from every month, we're still running the software testing clinic. And that will be going until, I think, February, because we're likely to take a break in December. But we've just announced our technical testing session for next month, which is October. October and uh, I'm really excited about that one because that'll be really fun and hands-on and probably one of the most exciting sessions we've had so far. I think that's mostly testing related things after what happening. (laughs) (laughs) What non-testing things are you keeping quiet? I'm hoping to run a half marathon in February (laughs) so that's uh, exciting and trying to train for it but the weather is sort of turning Uh, this afternoon and we're getting gale force winds on the seafront which is my normal place to run so I might not head out tonight and I also on the side have been designing my own uh, knitted jumper pattern and I really need to get into coding some bits for it so that I can size it up into different sizes but that's my little uh, kind of pet project. (laughs) Awesome. Well, with the winter coming in, I'm sure that the knitting might might be easier than the running. But uh, if people yes. would like to get in touch with you about things you spoke about today or your upcoming meetups, where's the best place for them to do that? Um, so I'm on Twitter uh, with my full name backwards, which is Punk Mick. You would not believe how long it took me to work out that was what Punk Mick meant. It was like, I think it would be measured in years. <laughs> I, yeah, it's, it's quite funny because I've recently heard that people think it's Punk Milk, but it's not. It's Punk Mick. <laughs> I don't even know what that would be. Um, but it's my full name backwards, so Punk Mick. And you can also find me on uh, LinkedIn and uh, message me on the meetup group. I check that quite frequently. So if you want to get in touch about a meetup, uh, let me know there. 
Excellent. And the podcast Twitter account is at Testers Island. All the rest of the things you need are in the show notes. Just look there. I hope you have a lovely week and I'll speak to you soon. Cheers, Kim. Thank you. Thanks for having me. No problem. Bye. Testers Island Discs is brought to you in association with the Ministry of Testing. Written and produced by Neil Studd. Theme music by Tony Lovich. Follow us on Twitter at Testers Island 